so grateful for you. God, I am so thankful for your church. And God, I am so, so, so deeply grateful for the chance to come and confess the lordship of your son, Jesus Christ, with others who share that passion and zeal for your name. God, you are the Lord of all. You are the King of glory. And God, I just joined this psalmist in saying, who is this King of glory? Who is this beautiful one, mighty and strong? Who is our refuge and strength? God, who is our help in times of trouble? God, I pray that the King of glory would come in. That God, you would, you would shred any hopes that we have in ourselves. And God, you would fill us with a holy vigor and a holy hope in you as the Messiah and King of glory. And so, Lord, we love you and we praise you and we worship you. We confess your name. We confess that you are Lord of all. You are the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory. Come in. In Jesus' name we hope and pray. We believe and we hold deeply to. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Wow, what a good day. So, um, Happy New Year. Uh, Manny and Karen, I don't know, where, Karen, hi, Happy New Year. Thank you. Um, I, don't, I haven't found the Wests. Are they uh, working? There you are. Happy New Year. Do you know the coolest things that happen in church, y'all? When God grabs our hearts and the nations roll in, is that you get, I don't, tell me, tell me your daughter's name that gave me this. So you get bracelets when you walk into church from Emily, who's celebrating the new year in China, right? And so I have the coolest bracelet, and happy new year. That's, that's a little taste of what transformational community looks like, is uh, you have beautiful little girls who once lived in China who now live here because our hearts are there. And so you're like the little new year row. Did you bring any kind of fireworks or stuff for us to shoot afterwards? Because <laughs> that would be so much fun. And so um, we'll see you guys tonight. What time? I, I love this. I just I want to begin um, with a single question. Uh, I know what time it is, and I'd already prepared to be brief because we wanted their moment to be so significant and for our church. But I want to read Romans 12, 1 and 2. And if you would turn with me there or app with me there, whichever is your preference. I was in Bible study today using my app. It's so fast. You know, it's so great. So in Romans 12, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Here's my one question that I would say that I would love to flow is, is what's happening among us? Because we are a we. And then let's make that extraordinarily personal. What's happening in your life that compels Christ to stand? That, that will make sense in a few minutes. So just let that resonate. So back to the scripture. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. And here's how. By the renewing of your mind. And when your mind is renewed and your heart is invigorated by the presence and spirit of God, here's what you get. Here's what we get together as the body. We get to test and approve God's will. Okay, that was shouting moment right there. 
I mean, that's, are you kidding me? That was one of those, I think we read scripture so much or you listen to pastors so much that you don't realize what you just heard or you're just kind of reading it for the first time. But you can hear that for the first time and say, okay, God, as I present my body to you as a living sacrifice, you find that presentation holy and pleasing. That's good. Therefore, as I present myself to you, I am no longer conforming to the patterns of this world. I'm being transformed. And here's how I'm doing that, God. And I am thinking differently I am surrounded by people who think differently. We are building a transformational community among us that is passionately following you. And out of that, seriously, out of that, Lord, we get to test and approve your will. Thank you. Your good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's what some of us are running around all the time. God, what is your will for my life? What is your will for my life? What is your will for my life? Well, I don't know. Forget about your life. God, what is your will? And I want to get in the middle of your life. And I want to know what you're doing. And I want to do that with a bunch of people who do the same. And we're going to chase you. And we're going to lay down our will on the altar and let our will burn away. Because the only will that stands in our life is the will of the living God. And so we want to move our lives into that will. That is our mission. We exist to lead people to transform living through Jesus Christ. So the question of the day is this. It's just a question of the day. It's a question that actually birthed out of being able to hang out with our students Wednesday night and challenge them with a story or two out of Scripture. And and so what's happening among us that causes Jesus to stand? And once again, you'll get this in a minute. I hope it's weighty for you. What's happening in your life that Jesus just is standing and looking into your life and going, wow, this is amazing. I am, I am, we're walking through a series. This was going to be the last week, but no. And so one more week. Um, next week, we're going to focus on Disciple Now. And then we've got to put a bow on this because, I mean, I, it would be totally unfair to talk about why, who, that we're a we. And then we exist for a purpose. That purpose is transformation. There is no way to end there because that transformation is through Only one name under heaven by which men are saved. So we're going to have to part for, I'm about to say the stupidest thing a pastor could ever say. We're going to have to part for a week on Jesus. No, how about let's park the rest of our lives on Jesus. And then we'll stop at the last breath and restart again for eternity. So for forever, we will be talking about the transforming work of Jesus but I was, I was um, talking about this Romans 12, 1 and 2 in context of our series right now called Mission. And just thinking about why we exist, what we're about. We exist to, to be transformational people. So what is God standing for? And I'm reading this book and it's totally messing with me. And uh, the Bible messes with me enough. I'm reading Hebrews right now. If you're on a daily plan with me, you're reading Hebrews. That in and of itself is messing with me. But then I'm reading an, an author. It's, the name on it is Nick Ripkin. That's not really the name. It's a pseudonym for a person who wrote this book, The Leading Authority on um, the Persecuted Church. And so I'm reading this book, and, and one of the things I shared with you last week, let me ask the question again. What's happening in your life that will compel Christ to stand? Just move Him to stand. Because the Scripture tells us that Christ went to be with the Heavenly Father and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And that's a huge, huge statement. And so what's happening in our life that causes Jesus to stand? And, and the, per, the people that wrote this book, I don't know if her real name is Ruth or not. I think you've actually met him, Rick. His I don't, real name is Ruth. And, and so um, they're actually moving to Mandarin. I believe it's actually Mandarin. They're moving here. And so um, Rick Wheeler and Camille are going to assure that they attend this church because I would love 
I'm not sure that's going to happen. Why don't we all pray this? Because th- these people are crazy. I mean, they're crazy. They're, they're like, they set their kids down. I shared this story. So we sense that our job is to be followers of Jesus. And they laid that prayer out before their children. Just this is who we are. And then they sense that at a, at a later point in life, the kids, um, you know, I don't remember the exact age. At a later point in life, they said, we sense that not only are we followers, but God's called us to go, which all of us are called to that in some way, shape, and form. Theirs was explicitly to go to third world countries. And then, this is the part that blew me away. I think the kids were 13 something, 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 13, 11, and 6, something like that. And they've been working in Somaliland for quite a while. And they said, we had to sit our kids down and say, we're not just living for Jesus and going for Jesus. I think Jesus probably stood for this meeting because he was watching in the window of their family and said, we're, we're willing to die for Jesus. And we just want you to know that. And so, you heard this last week. So, children, um, if something happens to us, the sovereignty of God is intact. And so that was powerful. I'm just reading this going, seriously? So I, I read another story this week that I just thought I would share with you as we, just, as, we talk about, as we talk about in this room some character qualities of a transformational community. In other words, one of the character qualities that we parked on last week was that we believe that God's given us an intended future. We believe that with all of our heart. I just don't know that we believe that at this level. Like when you read a story like this and chapter something, he just says, um, I'm, I'm in Ukraine right now. I've been to Russia. I'm now in the Ukraine. I'm, I'm actually past this chapter now. I've been over to China, and I've met with all these people for extensive times in the leading thinker and, and processor of how to share life in the persecuted church. So he's sitting with a Ukrainian pastor, and they have this conversation. One of the men I said that to, which is, how did you or your family learn to live like this? How did you learn to live as a transformational community? I mean, look, seriously, is Jesus standing for some things that are happening in the middle of this? And, and the pastor answered this way. I remember this day like it was yesterday, Nick. My father put his arms around me and my sister and my brother, and he guided us into the kitchen to sit around the table so we could talk. My mom was crying, so I knew something significant was happening. Papa didn't look at her because he was talking directly to us as his children. And he said... This is a pastor in the Ukraine, persecuted church. This is not an old story from 2,000 years ago. This is a story from a decade ago, okay? Two decades maybe. He says, children, you know that I am a pastor of our church. This hits home. That's what God has called me to do, to tell others about him. I have learned that the communist authorities will come tomorrow to arrest me. They will put me in prison because they want me to stop preaching Christ. But I cannot stop doing that which I must obey. I will miss you very much. I'm thinking Jesus is standing at this moment. But I will trust God to watch over you while I'm gone. Now, if that's weighty enough for you, please put your seatbelt on right now. Here's where he goes. He hugged each one of us. This is his child talking about him now. Then he said, All around this part of the country, the authorities are rounding up followers of Jesus and demanding that they deny their faith. Sometimes when they refuse, the authorities will line up whole families and hang them by the neck until they're dead. I don't want that to happen to our family. So I'm praying that when they put me in prison, they will leave you and your mom alone. However... And here he paused and made eye contact with me and with the rest of our family. If I am in prison 
and I hear that my wife and children have been hung to death rather than deny Jesus, I will be the most proud man in that prison. This will mess you up when you're reading this. And here's what he says. And this is just, when he finished his story, I was stunned. I mean, Nick, who wrote this book, I was stunned. I have never heard that kind of thing in church growing up. I've never heard anybody call me to this the whole entirety of my life. I have never encountered a pilgrimage that brought me down that road. And I was sure that I had never been told that a father should value his faith and his Savior over his family. And I am sure in that moment that Christ was standing and saying, well done. And think about that with an intended future. The character makeup of a family of God that believes in transformational community is this, that we believe there is an intended future that far supersedes what we're about today. Therefore, we lay down our bodies as living sacrifices. This isn't a verse. This is scripture, holy and pleasing to him. That is our spiritual act of worship. Then, in the midst of that, we get to be in the middle of God's will because we have so fully renewed our mind to think with an intended future that heaven will rejoice for eternity, that earth is temporal, and this monetary, this momentary short loss will be but for a brief moment for the great surpassing greatness of living forever for Christ. So if you hang from a tree, hang gloriously shouting his name, and I will be so proud of you. So coming back to my question of the day, so what's going on in our faith community that Jesus is standing? He's saying, way to go. Move forward for the kingdom. Most of us, I do not want to look Cynthia and Lydia who are in the room in the eye and say, if you swing from a tree, I will be so proud. But I would rather them live for the sake of Christ than to fall prey to falling away from that which is eternally joyous. I don't prefer that conversation. Neither did he. But there is something far more glad and joyous among them. What's happening in us that causes Jesus to stand just so it's not some story. I love Jeremiah because we like this intended future. One of uh, my wife's favorite life verses, the first verse she introduced me to when I met her, I heard it before, but this is her verse, was that is out of Jeremiah where it just says, you know, I love the plans that my Lord has for me. These plans are, are to prosper me. These plans are all about a hope and a future. I mean, that's a passion until you understand that the very guy that wrote that wasn't looking at that in light of the economy of this world. He was looking at it in the economy of the intended future. Because the guy who wrote that, he's the same pastor who the Lord said, I want you to speak to your people for the rest of your days and nobody will listen. I want you to do it anyway. Because there's a bigger intended future. There's a bigger deal, and you're going to speak. And, and listen, listen, Jeremiah, here's your call. Here's your calling in life. And there's a whole other sermon because Jeremiah reached a point of, of weariness at this at one point. And I love the verse. He says, he says and I don't remember, the. Um, you can probably Google it faster than I can remember it. But he says, I am so tired, I am going to shut my mouth. And the very next verse, it's not like, not even the next verse, the next portion of Scripture, he says... But I can't stop speaking of the goodness of God because there is fire in my bones and there is joy for the kingdom of God because I'm about an intended future. 
I think the, I mean, look at this, look at this. Stop this, you know, oh, God's going to bless us with health and wealth. Please turn off the televangelists who are telling you that and understand that in the middle of the Christ kingdom, there is a future that far supersedes our comfort and it calls us to radical sacrifice. Minimal amens on that. But it's the call of the scripture and it's the call to come and die for the sake of the kingdom of God. And they say, Lord, I just, I love you. I, the scripture I shared with our students, the, the question of the day is this. So what's happening in your life that shows you have an intended future? What's happening in your life that just says no doubt? I have this intended passion for the things of God. I, um, I love the story I shared. I just shared the story of Stephen Wednesday night. I'm, I'm teaching the students through Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Run with perseverance the race that is marked out for you as as you set before you the joy of the cross of Jesus Christ, who for the joy before him, I'm losing the memory verse. You know, I mean, he gladly and joyfully went to the cross. And so, so, so what do you do with that when you grab a young guy like Stephen, who's called out to preach and the brother in Acts 6 lights it up. I mean, he's stepping in to the same crew that just massacred Christ and crucified him on the cross. And so Stephen stands up and, and, and he just starts preaching Christ and preaching the reality of Christ and people are grumbling. And then, and then here's a good sign for the pastor that's not going well. They start gnashing teeth and ripping their clothing. I mean, as a pastor leader, you're kind of going, man, this is going south. Most pastors would quit. He's like, no, the one you're gnashing your teeth over, he is the cornerstone. He is the king of glory. And he is telling it about Christ in the face of persecution and then and then they start just you know exploding and they begin to pick up stones and 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 I love this intended future picture with with this story of Stephen because in Acts 7 55 it says this that they start to pelt him with stones and he starts to cry out for the glory of God his words sound eerily like Christ like forgive them father they don't know what they're doing lord And I love this verse, and this is where the question comes from. In Acts, the 7th chapter, I believe it's the 55th verse, this verse will light you up because it says that as he is having the stones pelt him, and as as blood is running down his face, as he is confessing the goodness of God, there's this guy over to the side who's holding jackets and watching the whole thing. His name is, the students got it. Thank you very much. And, and the students had said Saul, too. You guys are very biblically knowledgeable. I mean, it is Saul who will become Paul. And Saul is over just, I mean, he's watching this whole thing, and he's confessing Christ. And then, and then there's a part of the verse that I won't do a lot with today, but it just blows me up. It says that Stephen looked and saw the glory of God. Just that in and of itself is an intended future. But then he says, and he says, and this is a little great moment in Scripture, because Jesus is, as he ascended into heaven, he went and did what? Sat at the right hand of the Father, except now you read this verse and you say this. He saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Can't you, I have chill bumps in this moment, just picturing him looking, Stephen, the little Greek word means my joy and my crown. Can't you see the living God looking into Stephanos, Stephen, and saying, you are my joy and crown, come and take your eternal glory. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering, what's happening among us that compels Jesus to stand? 
Like right now, as we walked in, um, I had a friend of mine, Mr. Richard, just come to me this morning. I'm saying, I'm praying that we won't just walk through this day. Did you walk in today thinking, when we get together, some things are going to happen, so much so that Jesus will stand? I mean, he's going to stand up and look into the middle of this faith community and say, this little bunch of, of, of broken people are going to be pieced together by me. And I am going to do something that could only be described by me. I, I want to picture Jesus in this moment among us just looking in and saying, What are you going to do, Father? I, I want, but more than that, I want us to want to see Christ stand with expectancy as he moves among us. As a pastor, I could not be more proud of you as the father said to his kids until we are ready to give everything for the sake of Christ. As we live with an intended future, the question of the day is, so what's happening among us that we say, Jesus, you're standing. And I I think there's a, a secondary part of the character trait of this move of God that calls us to an explicit lifestyle. Just it's because because we live so differently and I'm I'm parked right now in all these writers like Ed Stetzer and Tom Rainer and um, Bar- George Barna. I'm reading like three or four books at this moment and they're driving me nuts talking about transformational community and what that looks like and how Jesus wants to operate in context of his community. And I, you know who's getting on my nerves is George Barna. And he's on my nerves because he keeps telling me, and I think Ed Stetzer too, Ed, they're both on my nerves. Because they keep telling me the church doesn't look any different than the world. And they're writing about transformational community. They say, clearly something's not clicking. Because they keep talking about, you know, we have the same issues in our marriage, the same issues in our family, same issues in our parenting. Same... I'm thinking, look, if Jesus was standing, things would be crazy. Look, 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 let me just say this differently so that it can hit home with all of us. If Jesus was standing, we would have... When I said that five minutes ago, some of you that are in the middle of a throttling sin would have walked forward and fell at this altar saying, Jesus Christ, this is keeping me from you. This is keeping me. And and, and get this bigger picture than you because this is not your story. This is our story. I am throttling the move of your life in this church. I mean, we would look at that and our lifestyle, if not aligned with the word of God, would be broken. I, I love Tim Keller. I probably want to quote him. He had a quote that just really blew me up this week. I hope I can find it pretty quickly. Yeah, I found it. He says, look, I would move away from I broke God's rules. That wouldn't be repentance. I would be in the middle of this reality. I just broke God's heart. And God, I don't, I don't want anything to go on. That's, I mean, there would be an explicit lifestyle if you're like, a note taker, I think I actually put that in your notes, just that there would be such a great difference in us. And it is not because we pulled ourselves up from the, from the very roots of who we are in our own strength. It would be because we are a people who have thrown ourselves onto the gospel. We're a people who have thrown ourselves. We're a people who are saying to the Lord, Lord, I was rescued by you. I am saved by you. I am faithing in you. And I am continually to pursue your word. And God, every time I encounter your word, I am praying, Lord, that my life will so reflect you that you will stand on my behalf. 
It's an explicit lifestyle. It's just a lifestyle that says, God, we, we are passionate for you and passionate for what you're about. I think, I think I'll just stop with this one, and we'll catch number three next week. Does that sound good? So, I mean, we should just stop with this. I, there's one of my favorite songs that, um, that I sing. Not well. I don't want to sing it ever for you. But um, that I love to sing, and just, it, gives, it just says, God, give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow hard after you. Because, God, I want my lifestyle to be so explicit for what you're about and how you're moving in this way. And and I I really probably ought to illustrate this. I love a guy named John Ortberg. He's a great thinker, and he's also super practical. And John Ortberg just talks about um, a little bit of transformation in one of his books. I think it's entitled The Life You've Always Wanted. And he just says, you've got to believe this deal. I mean, you've got to believe. In fact, um, he quotes one of the, uh, Beck, and I can't remember. He's a psychologist. I should know this. I studied psychology for, like, ever. Anyway, Beck said that, that you, the most toxic belief that you can have, I actually think I put this in your notes, the most toxic belief you could have in this moment that you cannot change. And, and I would take that into the Christ-centered world to say, it would be toxic for you to believe that Jesus isn't transforming your life and doesn't want to do that right now. And to bring you to an explicit lifestyle for an explicit Christ who fleshes this out. And, and sometimes this idea of purity, we kind of run away. Um, uh, Ortberg wrote this in his book. He said, we have a whole group that's set up to regulate purity. It's called the FDA. In our foods, as you go shopping, you have some general ideas of purity that's going on. I love that. I brought some illustrations for you and some truths just so you can know what you're experiencing today as you go to the grocery store. It would be somewhere. Here it is. Okay, here we go. Let me just pull these out to help you. So if you went to the grocery store today and you were, you were chasing after what we have defined in America as the Fred... What, what's FDA stand for? Food and drug, because why don't I throw out federal... Thank you. So the Food and Drug Administration, if you went and just bought some honey butter, which I think is coming up on the screen, here's the regulations that they would be after. Are you ready for this? That looks good, doesn't it? So it would pass. If the mold count is 12% or more, it's out of here. That's awesome. Yeah, we're going to run with this. If it averages four rodent hairs per 100 grams or more, you like some butter with your toast today? (laughs) It's gone. If it averages five or more whole insects per 100 grams, we are regulating that out. There's your butter. All right, for those of you, this is going to really, this is beautiful. For those of you coffee lovers, I could not bring myself to bring Starbucks in this room. But coffee beans, if if 10% or more are in... Infested with insects, it's out of here. Look, we're going to have a meeting in just a few minutes um, at Starbucks. Beans, uh, okay. Or if there are, this is the best one, or if there are two or more bugs in side-by-side containers that are living. Mushrooms. This is hurtful. 
if if there are an average of 20 or more maggots per inch, 15 grams is out. You cannot. Yeah, thank you so much. My favorite childhood treat. Favorite childhood um, fig paste, which is in the middle of. These are delicious fig paste. If more than 13 insect heads in fig paste per 100 grams, then they are ruthlessly tossed out of the batch. Fig Newton, anyone? <laughs> Thank you. I shared that with Leanne, and she ate them anyway this week. She was like, yeah, I don't care. That's awesome. Hot dogs. Yeah, you don't want to know. It's not. A, we're not even going there. It's just don't go. Wow. And I, I would just, I mean, purity is prized in the New Testament. In the book of James, in the book of James, he would look at this and say, this is, look, you're running around going, what's somebody else doing? And he's going, no, no. The only comparison you have is to the life of Jesus Christ. We're not, we're, we're not a 15 insects per undergram people. Give me one pure, holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life. When you read things like that, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Your word, Lord, have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. James says that a person who follows this lifestyle, and believe me, we regulate at this level in the Christian world as well. And there's a call for a much higher passion from God. Paul, I mean, James calls this being double-minded. He says double-minded people cannot make it in the kingdom of God. Their passion will run awry. It requires a single-minded focus. And maybe I just end with some people who were so single-minded. I love David who dropped the ball so often. But heart always came back to the Lord. Here's what he said. One thing I asked, Psalm 27.4, I believe. I could be wrong. One thing I asked, this is what I seek that I may dwell upon your beauty, O Lord. That I could dwell in the middle of your tabernacle all of my days. That's just, that's, that's the one thing. Double-mindedness will get us this. And that's, I believe, what the church has. But there's an explicit lifestyle that God says, man, it's, this is 20 maggots, this is not acceptable. Paul, Paul says in Philippians, this is all I want to be out, to know God. And then he says, one thing that I do, forgetting what is past and striving toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal, forward, let's go, for the call that is upward in Christ Jesus. That's just what I'm about. And if, if Paul and David don't move you enough, how about Jesus? Who just comes to us and says, look, I really, really love you. And I am calling you to an adventure. And I love Jesus because I think he says, I long to stand on your behalf. And so I'm asking you to be about one thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when you do that, listen to what Jesus said. This is ridiculous. All of these things will be added to you. But seek first one thing, one passion. I close with a guy that just lit me up. I think it's coming up on the screen. I hope so. Um, I close with just a guy who said, I, this is called Fellowship of the Unashamed. And um, it's a guy who just said, I long for Christ to stand. 
And so I asked the question, maybe, maybe I'll ask it one more time, but I'll ask it at least now again. So what's happening in your life that compels Christ to stand? And maybe broaden that a bit. And as you look around this church that you're all in with, what's going on around here that compels Christ to stand? This is a guy who has no doubt. He wrote his mission statement. It's a young African pastor. He wrote his mission statement. He hung it on his wall. Ultimately, he lost his life for the sake of the gospel. Um, What would happen if all of us just walked out today and said, look, I want to clearly define what I'm about and what I'm not about because I long to live in moments where Jesus stands. Here's what he said, defining. You ready? I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision made. I am a disciple of Christ. I won't back up, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame divisions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarf goals. Gone. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have the right to be first or tops or recognized or praised or regarded or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by the power of Jesus Christ. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My God is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delay. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy. I will not ponder at the pool of popularity, and I will not meander at the maze of mediocrity. That is not me. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of His. I must go until He comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, Work till he stops me. And when he comes from his own, he will have no problems recognizing me. For his banner over me is clear. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would move among us in such a way that the banner over us would be clear. That we would give you multitudes of compelling reasons to stand on our behalf. That, God, we would live for your sake and your fame the rest of our days. That, God, we would live with a lifestyle that is explicitly passionate for your name. And that we would live with a future that is intended for far more than our own personal popularity and our own personal plaudits. God, we would spend ourselves for your sake. And so, Jesus, I pray that we will exist and lead people to transform living through Jesus Christ, not in a mission statement, but in life. Holy God, move and stir among us in such magnanimous ways that there is no way to credit anyone except you among us. We love you, Lord Jesus. We praise your name. We glorify your name. And we glory in your name. 
It's for you that we worship together. It's for you that we respond now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to sing. And the altar is wide open. I, I, just, I just believe because I am sitting at the altar metaphorically right now, willingly compromising, and I'm not alone in this room. And I just believe God is inviting us to a passion for his presence and his holiness. So I just invite you to come today, to come to this altar and say, Lord, everything is for your glory. Some of you, like this family that's about to walk down now, God's not inviting you to come to an altar. He's coming to you to be a part of this body, to join this fellowship. I'm just inviting you to come. Praise you, Lord. And some of you are not a part yet even of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and your heart is burning right now. And you don't know what to do with that. I just just want to help unpack that for you. A, A friend of mine named Dan Davis will be here I will be here. Come grab either one of us. If you're here and you're just saying, I want to move toward this Jesus that you guys seem to be pretty crazy about. We want to move with you in that direction. Would you just come and talk to us? Holy Spirit, be free. Let's stand. Let's worship.